Here we go on this February the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2021. You're listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel. And I indicated I would be glad to take some questions that are sent in by either email or a phone call. Now, we can't do phone calls. We're not yet in the studio. But on an email situation, it's really not enough just on Open Mic Friday to cover all the emails. So we're going to take a little bit on Wednesday. And then also again on Friday, we'll have the same item. So let me start off with an email that I received this past week. It was about something that happened in Sierra Leone. Now, Sierra Leone was one of those areas that was really destroyed by the USAMI. And it's really too bad that that had occurred. In fact, we lost the president of the Lutheran Church uh, during that terrible situation. But here's a true story about what happened out of this. They had a training session and an LCMS missionary asked the group of lay pastors from the Kano villages to write an essay answering the question, how do I know I am a Christian? A Kano is located in the eastern part of Sierra Leone. It's actually the diamond center of the country. So these pastors presented their papers the next week about how do I know I am a Christian? The first papers told of how they knew they were a Christian because of the good works they had done or that they were being a better person. And one could see the concern on the missionary's face as he read aloud through the short papers to the class. Finally, he came to one longer paper. The lay minister wrote basically that I know I am a Christian because of what Christ has done. Then the paper told the story of how Christ's work had affected his life. He told that he used to go down to the river with his family every year and make a sacrifice to the river god demon so the rains would come again and the water would flow as well as there would be water for the rice to grow another year. Now, he could not go anymore, even though it upset his family to worship a demon. The river was a place of worship. One group sacrificed, the other gathered for prayer. I was surprised recently when looking under Find a Church tab in the Issues Etc. site that a church in Idaho meets at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our church in Grand Prairie allows the Adventists to worship in our building, which I do not think is right, and at times in the sanctuary, which is worse. So the question why would you say that another denomination ought not use one of the synod churches building to worship? 
Yet LCMS mission churches use various locations for worship until they obtain their own building. And so that's the question. Well, the first item I want to speak to is look at that law and gospel teaching of those pastors, lay pastors in that Sierra Leone village and how they really thought that they knew they were a Christian because of their good works. And finally, the one lay pastor made it very clear that no, he could no longer kind of sacrifice to the God demon at the river, but he would go there to pray, which often happened in the New Testament. Remember, the disciples would go down to the river and there were some women there. It was a small town, so it's possible they didn't have sufficient men to have a synagogue service, and therefore they would speak to the women there. Now, the second question he has was that on issues, etc., there was a Lutheran church in Idaho that met at the Seventh-day Adventist church. And his question is, how come we don't allow the Seventh-day Adventists to worship in our building if we think we can worship in theirs? Well, the location where a Lutheran church decides to worship is really adiaphora. I have worked with congregations that worshiped in the gymnasium. And that was kind of interesting on Sunday morning. We're worshiping, and the smells from the basketball game the previous night were still in the gym. But they worshiped God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, why don't we allow someone else to worship in our church? And the reason I would give is that when the church is dedicated, it's dedicated to the word of God, rightly spoken, and the sacraments rightly administered. Why would you want a church that does not speak the word of God properly to come to your altar, to come into your pulpit and preach that which is contrary to the will of God. Now, I'm not saying that everything they say is contrary, but that's what fellowship means in the Lutheran church. We're in fellowship with those who agree with the Lutheran confessions and who administer the sacraments according to God's ordination. Therefore, I would not permit a Roman Catholic church to worship in a Lutheran sanctuary because the Lutheran sanctuary is dedicated to praying to Jesus, not to the Virgin Mary. A Lutheran sac sanctuary is dedicated to preaching the word of God about salvation by grace through faith, not salvation plus works or else you go to purgatory. So we don't mind using someone else's location because 
we are not following their views of what is to be taught properly. If they want us to come into their location and preach contrary to their teaching, we don't have a problem with that. Jesus did that all over the place. He would go into synagogues and the people, wow, he speaks with authority. Why? Because he was saying things they had never heard before. The scribes would often speak what other scribes said. Jesus was saying things that you could not find in the scribal writings the way he said them, particularly that he is the one who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So some came to faith in believing Jesus. Others came to the decision to crucify him. So that's how I would answer that question, why we as Lutherans can use any location to speak the word of God. But on the other hand, we would not permit false teaching to be spoken from our pulpits that have been dedicated to the pure preaching of the word of God. Okay, second email. I recently heard the show where you stated that if you as an infant were baptized and your parents didn't bring you to be baptized rightly, or if they didn't really believe what was going on in baptism, that your baptism may be invalid. I really can't recall your exact words. Now, I'll I'll get back to this because that's not what I had said or what I meant. But let's take it that that was what the person was left. It left me concerned. I was infant baptized in a Lutheran church. And I know my mom has always had problem with infant baptism. Never believed that infant baptism was a means of grace. The only reason why I got infant baptized was because my grandparents were staunch Lutherans. And my dad wanted me baptized because he was baptized in the Lutheran church. Needless to say, both my mom and dad are not Lutheran anymore. I'm Lutheran, and I have always clung to the fact I have been baptized when uncertainty has crept in my mind of my salvation. It has always been a great assurance of God's promises. But after hearing what you said, it now has left doubts in my mind of my baptism. Was it valid? Or was it not? Please explain, because that has always been a great comfort to me, knowing I was baptized. And thank you with the name. This is really important to understand with a specific word that the email writer uses. Was it valid or was it not? Now, this concerns itself also 
with the Lord's Supper. For the sacraments to be effective and give you assurance of your salvation, they need to be valid. What does that mean? They need to be done according to the will of God. Now, just think of preaching the word of God. Can it be taught in an invalid way? Oh, it's taught that way all the time. It's called false teaching. The pastor may have the pastoral gowns on. He may be standing in a pulpit. But then if he says on judgment day, you're going to be going to heaven on the basis of those works that you had done. And so do good works in order to be saved. That's an invalid word and it will not give comfort. Well, how can a sacrament be considered invalid? I was asked recently, and I think I went over this a bit in a program, about whether I had ever refused to baptize infants. And I did come up with an occasion when I did refuse to baptize infants. I worked at Lutheran Hospital in Fort Wayne, Indiana, when I was at the senior college, where I also met Louise, who was a registered nurse. And uh, Louise is my wife, by the way. Yes. At any rate, I love that hospital because the cafeteria was open 24 hours a day. And I worked the 11 p.m. shift till 7 in the morning. And at that time, we were orderlies and did not have that much to do unless a patient needed us. But a lot of them were asleep. So during an eight-hour shift, if I worked two hours, that was quite a bit. So every now and then, I'd go down to the cafeteria and have a cheeseburger and French fries and a milkshake. Really enjoyed doing that. On my way down to the cafeteria, I passed by the nursery. Now, the nursery is where they had infants lying in cribs, and rarely did at that hour did I see a nurse in the nursery. There was always a nurse at the desk near the nursery, so if she heard any crying or anything, she could get in there to see what was going on. Now, today, you go to a hospital and you go by the nursery, um, you may sometimes have police there kind of keeping watch over the children because these children have been kidnapped by women who can have their own children and desire to have somebody else's child. But in those days, it was a pretty open situation. And I remember thinking why don't I just go in and baptize these infants? Because does not infant baptism, does that not help us to understand the assurance of our salvation? You see, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he provides us with the forgiveness of sins. But somehow, 
he must connect that forgiveness of sins to us personally. Now, it does come about when you hear a valid word of God and believe it, like he that believes shall be saved. But it also comes about if you receive a valid sacrament of baptism. Remember that Bible verse, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, there are some scholars that are not sure that's really part of the original Bible, but you go to Romans 6, and it is certainly taught that way also, that in baptism, we're buried with Christ. It's as though we were on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and that's why it can become such an assurance of salvation. So, getting back to the hospital, let's say I decide to sneak into that nursery and quickly put some drops of water on each child saying, I baptize you into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That would not be a valid baptism because baptism is a sacrament done within the church. And that's why it's important to have the parents or some relative who is willing to be the godparent to remind the infant as the infant grows up, that that is an assurance of their salvation. It reminds me of a Roman Catholic priest who stood on, stood on a, well, it was a hill or a mountain near Nanking. That was in China. And he had holy water in a flask. And what he did, he threw the holy water, sprinkled it towards the city, and baptized the entire city. Now, nobody was there with him. He was all by himself. Would that have been a valid baptism? Of course not. People didn't even know what was going on. They weren't present. Nobody had given him permission to do that. It's kind of like... Let's say, and this was heard on Issues Etc. yesterday, when a wonderful uh, little opportunity was given about the Lord's Supper. And the question was, is there a distinction between the Lord's Supper being valid and effective? So let's say some kids attend church and they see the Lord's Supper going on. So what they do is they're playing in the playground near their home and somebody brings some bread and somebody brings some grape juice and they say the words of institution over it and then feed that not only to themselves, but maybe to their pets, a dog or a cat or a squirrel in the area or this sort of thing. Would you consider that to be a valid sacrament going on? Of course not. So the validity of the sacrament, particularly in a worship service, always follows a confession of sins. The people say, we're poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. And the pastor says, upon this, your confession 
I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, and by Christ's authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is preparatory to receiving the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. So, if those elements are not done according to God's will, that would be in valid sacraments. That's why we don't consider the Reformed Church, like Calvin, some others that followed his tradition, to really be having the Lord's Supper. In fact, if you go to a Baptist church, you'll often hear, even after the words of institution are said, that somebody else says, well, this really means that this is a figure of Christ's body, namely the bread, and it's not really his true body. It just stands for his true body. It's kind of an image of it, but not the true body. Well, Christ doesn't say that. He said, take eat, this is my body. Take drink, this is my blood. Now, we don't understand how the body and blood of Christ are in with the bread and the wine. Unlike Roman Catholics, who believe in what's called transubstantiation, we do not teach that the bread and wine loses their identity and become body and blood. No, from 1 Corinthians 10, Paul makes it very clear. Is not the bread we break the body of Christ. So we have some prepositions we put in to try and explain that the Lord's Supper, you receive true bread, but in, with, and under that bread is the body of Christ. And the example I always love giving is Moses on Mount Sinai, and he sees the burning bush, and God is in, with, and under the burning bush. But God is not a burning bush any more than when the Holy Spirit appears at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit is a bird with feathers. Or when Israel is led through the wilderness by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, that God is just a cloud or a pillar of fire. No, he is somehow in, with, and under protecting the Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians and leading them to the promised land. So this in, with, and under is one way of explaining the Lord's Supper. And in baptism, it's not just simple water, although you can use simple water. You don't have to get holy water from the holy land. You instead can get water from a tap. But it's not just simple water alone because it's connected to God's word. And we see that in some of the miracles of Jesus. Remember when he feeds 5,000 people, he just doesn't 
tell the disciples to pick up a bunch of empty boxes and go around and the people would take the food out of them. He could have done that. No, he begins with loaves and fish that he gets from a little boy. Now, he didn't have to do that, but that's how he did it. So similarly with the Lord's Supper, you can be assured of your salvation or with baptism because it doesn't matter the faith of your parents. What counts is what the church believes it is doing. And if the pastor baptized this individual in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it was valid. And therefore, he can continue to have great assurance that he is saved. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reimnitz, we're going to be talking about a subject that may be of interest to you. Tune us in at 9.30. And if you have any questions you would like me to answer, my email is back up and running now. Email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.